Well, our focus tonight is going to be on uh, verse 7, but I'd like to read uh, up to that point, um, and then we'll, uh, we'll take a look at it. So Hebrews 11, 1 through 7. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Let's pray a moment. Lord, we love your word. And uh, tonight, Lord, as we look again at faith, this uh, faith that has been born in us, Lord, in our hearts, this confidence, this assurance, Lord, we uh, just ask that you would open our eyes wider and wider to the life of faith that we can live as we walk with you and as we put our trust in you, Lord. The testimony that we can have, like these who are recorded here, Lord, we too want a good testimony of walking with you, of walking by faith, of trusting in you, Lord, as seeing what is not seen, with our eyes on that which is eternal. So bless our time now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So there's a lot we could talk about when it comes to faith. And uh, Hebrews 11, I don't think is, is as much a definition of faith as it is a description of what faith looks like and what faith does. Much like 1 Corinthians 13, we're given a description of what love looks like and what love does when it's in operation, when it's being exercised. Love suffers long and is kind, for example. So again, in Hebrews 11, for the most part, we have a description of what faith does and what faith looks like and what kind of a testimony a person can have as they live a life of faith. But before we talk more about what faith does and and before we look at Noah's example, I'd like for us to consider some definitions of faith. You might have a definition if someone were to ask you what is faith. Um, There are different definitions of what is true, genuine, biblical faith. I think a a good, simple definition of faith is confidence in God. That's one that I've always liked and kind of latched onto. It's very simple, confidence in God. Some would say faith is trust in God's word, dependency on God's faithfulness, obedience to God's command. Here's a definition of faith I read recently. Faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances or consequences. 
confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences, and you might add a limited understanding. Confident obedience. We have a definition in Hebrews 11.1, 1, do we not? It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. The word substance there is a word that means to stand under, meaning that faith is like a foundation. Faith is a God-given confidence and assurance that we have that God is faithful and that God is able to do that which he has promised. So I think it's helpful to have a good definition of faith that you carry around in that file in your brain. But definitions can be somewhat subjective. We can talk about them all day long. But it's easy, you know, it's easy for someone to say, I believe, or I'm trusting the Lord. But it's another to give evidence of a sincere, genuine faith by what you do. When it comes to faith, it's not only what you believe, but it's what you do by faith that defines your life. And, and as we read of these examples in Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, because faith is an obedience, obedient response to divine revelation. It's an obedient response to God's word. James has a lot to say about faith and the fact that if it doesn't lead to action, remember what he said, faith without works is dead. He said in uh, chapter 2, if you have faith and I have works, you might say, I have faith. <laughs> Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So before we look at that, let's, let's consider how faith begins. I think it's clear from the scriptures that faith begins in the heart. Romans 10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth one makes confession unto salvation. And we, and we are, we're familiar with Romans 10, 17 that says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if you're here today and you have what I would call genuine faith, if you have the sincere faith, the biblical faith, the faith that is in Christ Jesus, meaning that you believe that he is the Son of God, you believe that God had raised him from the dead, and as a result, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then this faith that has been born in you, this faith that, grow, that grows more and more steadfast and be, can become unwavering, it can be traced back to when God spoke to your heart. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It can be traced back to when the word of God, like, like a seed, took, took root in good soil, what Jesus called a heart of good ground, which is in those who hear the word, they accept it, and then they bear fruit. And the word of God, like seed, it was rooted there in your heart, and it was watered. And when believed on, it brought forth life. I believe the grace of God is involved in this, this process of genuine faith being brought forth or being generated in us, which results, as we know, in our salvation, our justification, our being born again with new life. It's when generation, regeneration takes place because we're saved by grace through faith. So true, genuine biblical faith begins in our hearts. When we heard the word of God, we accepted it, we received it, and it produced life in us as the Holy Spirit was working 
through the Word of God, bringing us into a living relationship with the living God. And the Bible tells us also that faith can grow. This confidence in God, this assurance can grow stronger in us as we learn to depend on the Lord and are convinced of his faithfulness. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 1, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. And I think that's what we're reading about here in Hebrews chapter 11. It's a description of what faith does, but also a testimony of a growing faith. What faith can become. It's the evidence, I think, of a maturing faith. And as a result, as, we, as we're reading by faith, we, can, we all can have this growing and maturing faith. And we can, like it says in verse 2, we, can, we also can obtain a good testimony by, the li- by living a life of faith. In verse 3, we all can grow in spiritual understanding of the eternal and of unseen things. Verse 4, like Abel, we all can learn to offer acceptable sacrifices to God by faith. Verse 5, like Enoch, by faith we can learn to walk with God. We can learn to walk with the Lord and find out what pleases him. And in verse 6, we can discover that all we do should be combined with faith a trust, a dependency, and obedience in order to please God and be rewarded by him. So as we'll look at tonight, faith must grow so that we too, like Noah, can be moved with godly fear when we hear the divine warnings of God's word. So let's go back to Genesis 6 for a moment and remind ourselves of the story. We all know the story of the flood, right? I think it's good, though, once in a while to be reminded of some of the details to get the true account, especially when Hollywood comes out with another movie, right? You've got to wonder how many people sit and see these movies and without ever opening a Bible, and they sit there and think, oh, that's what happened. How interesting. I never knew that. That's not us, amen? I heard there, is an, there was an evangelical organization that uh, got the producers to say that the, the movie does not follow the, the biblical account. Anybody hear that? I hope that's true. <laughs> but still, what really happened, what God did in Noah's day was dramatic enough. Amen? Dramatic enough. So we won't, uh, we won't read the whole story because I think it's over like four chapters in Genesis. But I just wanted to look at uh, in Genesis 6. Uh, starting in verse 5, to remind us of a few of the details. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Their earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark 
And then he goes on to explain in detail how the ark should be made. Skip down to verse 17. God said, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, your, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And verse 22 is a key verse. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. All right? Back to Hebrews 11. Where we read in verse 7, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. I think a good place for us to begin is to ask ourselves the question, why did God divinely warn Noah? Why does God divinely warn any of us? Is it not because God loves us? God speaks to us and warns us of the consequence, consequences of sin because he loves us. In Noah's case, judgment was coming. As it, but as it says in Genesis 6, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And out of his love for Noah, God divinely warned him of what he was about to do. God said, Noah, I'm about to pour judgment out on the whole earth. Because of the continual wickedness and ungodliness, which is going, on, it's going from bad to worse, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm going to flood the whole earth. So God revealed to Noah what he was about to do, and then God told Noah what he must do, right? God told Noah what he must do in order for him and his family to be saved. And I think the same is true for you and I today. God has given us divine warnings in his word because he loves us. Turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is, uh, is a wonderful psalm. The subtitle in my Bible for Psalm 19 is The Perfect Revelation of the Lord. But Psalm 19 reminds us that God has revealed himself to mankind first by the things that he has created and then a greater revelation he gave us in his word, the scriptures, which are God-breathed, meaning they are given by the inspiration of God. And as we know from Hebrews, in the last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. But it all goes back to the Word of God. God first revealing himself by creation, which were brought into existence by his spoken Word. Then came the written Word of God as holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus came being the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. So faith originated by the word of God to our hearts. We'll see in Psalm 19, it fits perfectly with our study of faith and how maturing faith learns to respond to, in obedience to the word of God, like Noah, who in faith obeyed God's word. So Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and their firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. 
Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey, than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Here's the response. Cleanse me from my secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Now, did you notice verse 11? Speaking of God's law, his statutes, and his judgments, it says, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So again, why does God warn us? I think it's because he loves us, like he loved Noah. He said, Noah, what's coming is a, is a consequence of sin. It's going to be very bad. It's going to be, actually, it's going to be devastating. In fact, it will destroy your life and the life of your family. So Noah, this is what you must do in order to be delivered. Build an ark. Here's a faithful saying. Because because of God, God loves us, he divinely warns us of the consequences of sin in his word. And here's a faithful saying. You may have heard it before. Sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. Who's heard that one before? Anybody? A few of you? I know I've been up here and I've said it before. Sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. Sin is bad for you. Sin is bad for me. Sin will deceive us. It will enslave us, overpower us, and ultimately destroy our lives. It promises what it cannot deliver. Sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and it will cost you more than you wanted to pay. So God warns us because he loves us. I think a good picture of this is a loving father with his young child. It's interesting, if you think about it, I think each one of us was probably warned when we were little children by a loving parent. Even before we could fully understand, probably back, way back before we can even remember now, we were warned by a loving parent or, or whoever was taking care of us. Yet we were old enough to respond, old enough to obey, and heed the warning and steer clear of some danger. I brought this uh, hurricane lamp. Has it been a while since you've seen one of those? How many of you have a hurricane lamp at home? Okay, a lot of us still do. Because they come in handy, don't they? They can. Because sometimes what happens? The power goes out. The lights go out. And so we can, they, they come in handy. So um, what I'd like for you to, to is picture with me. I'm going to tell, uh, give a little illustration to make my point. 
that would involve a lamp such as this. Picture with me a young dad who's home in the evening with his three-year-old son, young son, old enough, though, to be moving around, right, walking around. And sure enough, it's stormy outside and the lights go out. So dad goes and gets the hurricane lamp because he wants to light up the living room. It's not bedtime yet for his son. He wants to spend some time with his son, so he lights the hurricane lamp. Now, what do you suppose a three-year-old might do who's never seen a hurricane lamp before in his life? He sees that lamp come out. Dad sets it for some reason on the coffee table of all places. And he sees that lamp, and he is fascinated. That lamp is glowing. That lamp is flickering. And before you know it, he's on his way over to touch that lamp and put his finger on that glass. And he'll burn his finger, will he not? That, that thing gets hot. So what is a loving dad going to do in that situation? He's going to say, stop. Don't touch it. It's hot. Big owie. Whatever you say to three-year-olds that, you know, some, some of your parents, you know, whatever gets through to three-year-olds. And he's like, you know, he's just old enough to stop and maybe run back to his dad's arm to, to, to look back at that, that hot lamp from a safe distance. Probably still dealing with the desire to get back over there, you know, and put his finger on the glass. So even though this little child doesn't fully understand fire, he responds to his father and runs back to his arms. Now, what did the dad stir up in the child? Was it not a healthy fear? Fear, a, a, a training, a, a teaching that he needs to be afraid of fire? Fire is something to be feared. He wants to train his son, don't ever touch it. Keep a safe distance. Fire is, is hot. Fire will burn. Fire will destroy. When God told Noah about the flood, Noah obeyed God and was moved with godly fear. Dr. David Hawkins did an extensive study on the, on the word fear in the Bible. And after an in-depth study, I don't know how many hours, he came to an astonishing conclusion about the word fear. Do you know what the word fear means in the Bible? It means fear. To be afraid. To be, be afraid. And shouldn't we have godly fear? If we, if we think about it, when we hear the divine warnings of God's word in faith, should we not be moved to obedience with godly fear to do what God has commanded us? Did you notice what uh, in Psalm 19, uh, what it said about the fear of the Lord? I don't know if you're still there, but look at verse 9. It says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the, and the context of Psalm 19 is our response to divine revelation, our response to the word of God. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you have the fear of the Lord? I think you do. If you are a child of God and you know that God loves you and has saved you, you no longer need to fear death. We no longer fear eternal judgment for our sin. But consider, consider if the little boy, going back to our illustration, consider he's old enough to understand 
and heed the warning, to understand the danger, and even to agree, agree to obey, yes, Daddy. But let's say as soon as Dad turns his back, he changes his mind. He decides to disobey and defiantly heads back to the lamp with the intention of placing his finger on the glass. What is a loving father going to do? Well, some fathers might just allow their son to touch the glass and to burn his finger. I hope it's none of you fathers here. <laughs> that, would be, that would be hard to do. Or he may apply the rod of correction to the seat of understanding. Because his son needs discipline in order to be trained to learn to do what is right and what is good. And afterwards, he will not only have a healthy fear of sin, but a healthy fear and respect for his dad. And that's a whole other Bible study. But God is our loving Heavenly Father. Amen? But God is God. He is the awesome, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise God. And as the scriptures say, it is an awesome thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's interesting if you think about faith. If faith is a God-given confidence and assurance that God is faithful and able to do what he has promised then should we not by faith obey and be moved with godly fear when we are divinely warned? Because you can be assured that God will do what he has promised. If God says to us, sin is bad, and if, but, and if you disobey in love, I will have to discipline you and correct you, then that should be enough for us to stir up godly fear in us. Amen? Faith gives a confidence that God is faithful and able to do what he has promised. So what are some things that God has divinely warned us about in his word? I made a, a short list, a list here of things. Things that God has divinely warned us about in his word that should stir up a godly fear in us to heed these warnings and to be moved with that godly fear to obey He's warned us about sexual immorality. He's warned us about idolatry, about greed and the love of money. He's warned us about lying and bearing false witness and about deception. Turn with me uh, to Psalm 34 for a moment. There's a few verses there that speak about the fear of the Lord that I think are helpful. Psalm 34, starting in verse 11, it says, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Speak peace and pursue it. In other words, by faith, let godly fear move you to obedience. Amen? So I think enough said about godly fear, but there's one more thing I'd like to point out from Psalm 19, which should not be far from where you are now. If you hop back there one more time, 
One more thing from Psalm 19. Speaking of faith, which responds to the word of God, notice what it says in verse, something else it says in verse 11. It says, by the word of God, your servant is warned, but you may have noticed it also says, in keeping them, there is great reward. Now, does that word reward remind you of something we read earlier in Hebrews 11? Go back to Hebrews 11. Because in Hebrews 11:6, as you may recall, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, when we seek the Lord and we put our trust in him, and when we obey his word and act in faith, we must believe that God sees our hearts. We must continue to believe that God hears our prayers that God knows our good works, and that God will reward us. It reminded me of what God said to Abraham, the father of faith. You may remember at one point, this is out of Genesis 15, God said to Abraham, Abraham, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Is not our relationship with the Lord, our fellowship with the Lord, our greatest reward? to walk with him, to abide in him, to receive counsel from the Lord, his comfort, his encouragement, his peace. We used to sing a little chorus, the greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. It's a living relationship with a living God that was established by faith. And I believe can only grow by faith. Another little chorus we used to sing is trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I sang that as a child and I realized the older I get the more that little chorus is right on the money. It's right on. That is sound doctrine. (laughs) Now I'd like to end tonight uh, by looking at a few verses from John chapter 15. Because I think we need to go beyond, when it comes to faith, we need to go beyond saying that we believe. We need to go on saying that we're trusting the Lord. We want to make sure that we are really, really trusting. A word that really uh, says what I'm trying to say right now is the word dependency. Have you in faith learned to depend on the Lord. Because I think God is pleased and God rewards when we truly depend on him for what is needed. It begins, of course, in humbly acknowledging that we need the Lord. Agreeing with the words of Jesus out of John 15 that without, he said, without me, you can do nothing. That's quite a statement. But also that by faith we We must depend on him. And to me, that means you've got to be asking. You've got to be asking God for what is needed. Asking the Lord in prayer the things that are needed throughout your day. So let's read uh, John 15. I just want to look at the first eight verses. And notice what Jesus specifically says about asking. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. By the way, where it says he takes away, that actually means he lifts up and, and cleans. So verse 3, you are already clean, he said to his disciples, because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them together and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now there's a lot that we could talk about uh, out of this chapter, but I think it's one of the most foundational chapters in all the Bible because here Jesus is explaining what it means to be his disciple. But verse 7 is our focus for this study. Where Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So can I encourage you this evening to make sure that you don't stop short of asking God for what is needed. Asking God in faith for what is needed. Now we know we're we're to ask according to God's will. We're not to be asking for our own selfish desires. James talks about that. He says you ask amiss amiss if it's only to spend on your pleasures. We know that. So uh, it's linked with the knowledge of God's word. It says that right there in John 15. But Jesus says, ask. Don't stop short of asking God for what what is needed. Depend on the Lord, who is your ever present help. God is pleased when we seek him, when we ask of him, and when we depend on him in faith. And then it's so important that we give thanks. Amen? Do you find that if, when God answers prayer and when God provides, if you don't give thanks right away, the doubts start to come? You start, you're tempted to doubt, eh, it's going to happen anyways. Or, you know, you, 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 you're tempted to dis- dismiss it altogether that God didn't do a thing. In everything with thanksgiving, right, let your request be made known to God. So it's not faith in our faith. We know that. It's trust and dependency on the Lord. It's, re- it's a relationship of love with the Lord in trust and obedience. So the question I leave you with, or I'd end with, is there anything you've stopped short of asking God for tonight? Maybe tonight it's a renewed sense of the fear of the Lord. Maybe it's forgiveness if you haven't heeded a divine warning of God's word. Or what is needed in your life tonight? Is, it, is there a need for wisdom from above? Is there a need for counsel? Is there a need for a stronger faith so that you can trust the Lord with all of your heart?
I just want to encourage you then tonight. The scripture says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. It's the words of Jesus from Luke 11. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Lord, in the, uh, just the definition of faith, the, the description of faith, the examples of faith, the testimonies we read in Hebrews 11, Lord, how encouraging it is to know that by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and the seed of the word of God, faith is generated in us a confident assurance that you are faithful, Lord, and able to do all that you have promised. A genuine faith. Lord, we, we thank you for that. And Lord, we want to live by that faith. Even if it means being moved with a godly fear when we are divinely warned about sin and its consequences in our lives. Lord, we know that you love us and you've given us your word to guide us. By your word, Lord, your servant is warned and in keeping your word, your servant is rewarded. So, Lord, we want, to, we want to continue to discover what pleases you as we walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, what pleases you and what, what you will bless, what you will reward, may that be the, the ambition of our lives, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.